It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 180. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So last, when last we spoke, which of course yes. was two weeks ago, we took a bit of a retrospective look at some of the things we had talked about that had happened uh -huh. in 2022. Um, let's turn 180 degrees and yeah. look forward. Yeah, Happy New Year. What's, what's coming up for 2023? And indeed, yes, Happy New Year while we're at it. What's coming up for 2023? What do we see on the on the horizon? Well, Let's make some wild predictions that a wild, year from, well, a year from now I, we can look back and see how wrong we were. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make too many wild predictions. I'm going to make some like bland predictions, <laughs> tech predictions, you know, things that I think will definitely be talked about a lot this year for better or for worse, or maybe for nothing, for no reason right. at all. Uh, we Leaving 2022, the big tech story uh, that everybody's talking about, well, besides the the Twitter thing, was, uh, you know, AI chatbots. You know, it just seems like you can't go anywhere. Every tech journalist is tasked with writing at least three AI chatbot stories a day. Uh, they're just, they fill social media. Yes, but everything. they're using the chatbots to do it. So yeah, it's yeah. easy, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, and I think this is going to continue into the new year. There's already a lot of talk of when the next version of chat GPT comes out and this company and that company and this app and that app. So I think regardless of whether we actually see any improvements in AI chatbots or anything that's genuinely new for 2023, it's going to continue to be a story that takes us through a large part of this year. Uh, with companies, tons of companies springing up to try to capitalize on it, tons of companies that already have stuff trying to catch up. Like Google's always been trying to do AI stuff, and all of a sudden, they're not, you know, <laughs> this is like another company doing it. Right. So I think Google will probably be like, hey, us too. Look, we've got, you know, chatbots here. Um, I think it's just going to be a big story for better or for worse. Uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some improvements. Like I would love, you know, these chatbots deal with old information, you know, six months right. or year old information. I think the big thing people want out of them next is chatbots that have current information where you can right. ask them yep. to explain something that happened today or find something like do a web search for you, which is not what they do now, but you could see it. It's not that far of a leap to say, hey, could the chatbot do my search for news for me? Not right now, but maybe next month. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not sure what the release schedule is for the underlying technology for, for things like chat GPT. I yeah. know that uh, I think we're currently using V3 and I've heard um, V4 is underway and some, you know, some uh, mm -hmm. chosen few have access to it, that kind of stuff. But I don't know how often they're, uh, they're pushing out new ones. I will go on record with a prediction. I okay. will claim that um, ChatGPT uh, by the end of the year will achieve what I will call high school equivalency, and I'm going to I'm going to define that to mean that um, ultimately high school English teachers are going to have a really really hard time mm. understanding whether the report that they just got from a student was actually written by that student. Um, right now, if you know what to look for, um, it's they all feel a little a little uncanny valley, right? It's all yeah. it's not quite human. You can you can tell. Um, I think that that's going to get better, and I think within the next twelve months, it'll get better enough that um, you know they will achieve 
that level of of fluency, at least in a report style setting. I think in a um, uh, conversational style, which is something else that they're working on. Those are actually two distinct things, but conversational chat, uh, I think, will still pose interesting challenges. But I think that, um, like I said, like we said when we first started talking about this, I think the real um, understated uh, risk of all this is in the educational system and trying to uh, trying to have the computer do your work for you. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I can uh, pick. It's going to be a lot harder for those English teachers to grade papers because they have to look out for this. There'll probably be some anti-cheating tools that'll come out around it. I have and, heard about a couple. Yeah, that supposedly yeah, yeah. are able to analyze text and say, you know, yes, this was generated by an uh, by an AI. Plus, I think, uh, you know, I mean, back when back in back in my day, you know, we used to sometimes take uh, tests in English class where we'd be asked to write an essay on the spot. That was the yeah. class it was right. like, OK, uh, you, you have to read this book. And then when we come in, there's going to be a topic that's going to be thrown up on the board and everybody needs to spend the whole period writing this out, you know, a page or whatever. And you hand that in and you can't, you know, cheat as easily there. Also, of course, teachers could do clever things like, uh, OK, thanks for turning in your report. Here's a vocabulary test. Oh, by the way, all the vocabulary words are things you used in your report. Do you know what these words mean? If you pass it, then your then your report is valid. If you don't know what some of the words you used were, yes, if you don't understand the words that you supposedly wrote, yeah, yeah, um, I, it's so it's been obviously it's been a very very long time since I've been in school, and I don't have kids to have watched go through this uh, process yeah. recently. Um, are they when they do this kind of you know on the spot uh, write an essay in class thing? Yeah, uh, I'm assuming that they're not necessarily doing it uh, with pen and paper. I assume that a lot of this is now happening with uh, laptops in the class or some other kind of technology. What right. I worry about is the same kind of of cheating scenario where yeah you can type at your keyboard for half an hour, but the last the last few keystrokes are a copy paste of whatever chat AI generated for you. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, they're going to have to, I mean, they, some schools do have their own machines that the students use or certain machines the students use just to take tests. Right. So there'll be some of that, um, you know, uh, so it's not an impossible situation, I think. Sure. I think sometimes sure. it's shown as, well, that's it. English, we, we're not going to be able to have English class because kids will be able to. <laughs> No, I, yeah, no, I no, think no, there are ways. Happen. I agree. There, yeah, there, there are ways. ways, and I think a good teacher is going to know. You know, they're, when they they're going to know if their students are like, did this person really achieve something in this class and are just is deserving of a grade or not? So, yeah, it, I, it's I, interesting. I think that in in um, in grade school and high school, mm -hmm. you're right. I think that the teachers probably have a much better understanding of the of the specific students that they're dealing with. Um, I don't think it's going to cross the boundary into higher education this year, but when you get to higher uh, education, you know, college and beyond, yeah. then um, I don't think the the professors, the the TAs, and so forth, they don't have this individual knowledge of well, this student whose paper I'm reading could never have written this because I know that they're not that literate. Um, th that level of knowledge just isn't there. It's a much more anonymous kind of system. So yeah. when we get that far, I don't, I think it'll be a while before we're there, but when we get that far, that'll be a whole nother challenge. Yes. And I think in higher education, uh, having had a, a student recently in higher education, I can tell you the report is from the student body 
the cheating for things like that, it's just rampant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't re- really recall it when I was in college, but maybe it's just because I wasn't involved with it. But, you know, or maybe, I don't know, I, of course, was in science and engineering classes more than uh, classes where you'd write papers. But, you know, it's so it's going to switch over to like, okay, I can use this computer program to cheat rather than I could pay somebody. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. What um, I remember from back in the day were clicks. There were clicks of people who um, yeah. basically they, they all, um, you know, did the work together, which on one hand sounds really good, but in reality, um, you know, there was always the case where um, they were in a sense cheating together, even though they were supposed to be doing sure. the work individually. So what else? Uh, okay. So I think 2023 is going to finally be the year where Apple comes out with some VR glasses kind of thing. Um, augmented reality or VR or a combination of both. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. This is my only Apple-specific thing on this list. You know, there's been rumored Apple's been working on this thing for a long time. Uh, at, you know, of course, Meta has had their thing out for a while. And every time I think, oh, I should get some of those, I should get some VR glasses, the ones that, you know, you see mm-hmm. on videos and stuff, I... I fail to find a use for them. Like right. I think, oh, is there some really cool, amazing game that I could play with these? Nah, no, <laughs> there's some like little games that look interesting, like they would fill a weekend up. But right. so I don't know. And I don't know what Apple's killer thing is going to be. I don't know if Apple, I, I don't feel Apple's going to come out with these things and say they're for everybody, like the Apple Watch. Everybody get buy yours now. I got a feeling it's going to be a high priced kind of like developer tool. Like here's our first shot at it. Uh, there's a, there's a did in experiment that says I don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't yeah, think Apple. Sure. I think Apple is going to learn the lesson from uh, Meta and yeah. um, either uh, not do anything at all or not do it for a very uh, for quite some time until there really is some clear compelling case that these things truly do add value because we're clearly like you said they're not there we're not there yet now that's not to say that apple couldn't create the mm-hmm. um, um the compelling case but like i said right now and there's a part of me that says you know i hope they don't yeah. um i i just it's a distraction for facebook and on one hand i kind of am glad that Facebook is distracted because who knows what havoc they could be wreaking if they actually focused on Facebook itself. But <laughs> um, um, Apple, I don't want them to be distracted from doing good work in in the areas that they are doing good work in. Um, I'd re- Honestly, I'd rather have them focus on a car. Yeah. Yeah. Which definitely I don't think we're going to see this year, but I, you know, I think it gets closer right. this year. So right. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And maybe Apple, like, I don't think it's going to be a big consumer product for Apple if they do come out with something like it may be, they already have augmented reality stuff on the phone, right? Where you could hold your phone up and, uh, you get street directions and all of that. Sure. It could be that the VR, uh, glasses are like this. These are for the developers of that stuff. Like right. you could use this to develop stuff that is either stuff for the phone where you see through the camera or maybe something like a game that comes out a year or two from now, but we're not going to come out with our consumer VR glasses for a while. Here's the $3,000 developer VR glasses, you know, if you want to start working on content. So anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, There was a lot of rumors that it was going to be 2022 and there's a lot of rumors that Apple missed 2022. And so it's definitely going to be next year. So we'll see. Um, 
But you mentioned uh, yeah, Apple Car. I don't think there's going to be an Apple Car, but I do think 2023 is going to be the year where we finally see a few cases of real self-driving cars really being used. Like we've had tons of tests. We've had, you know, uh, reports of, you know, this vehicle testing on this road and all this stuff. And we have certainly, you know, a lot of cars that can do highway assist. I think some point this year, you're going to hear about, oh, you can get a cab in Vegas now that's self-driving or so, somewhere, I think, Phoenix, I think, somewhere, you know. I think there already are self-driving cabs in Vegas, literally. Um in but fact, isn't it more of like a uh, you have to know like you can't just call it up on your phone like you have to be like okay I I'm going to test this thing out for this company and I use this system right and there's and still a, you know, a human in there and, and yeah I, and it's I'm not, not a real last year they actually killed somebody you know they ran into somebody <laughs> um, so so yeah I'm actually going to say no um, no okay. and what's what's interesting about my position is that um, the car that I drive. Um, has been promised full self-driving for many years, <laughs> right? Yeah. I drive a Tesla Model S. I've had it for six years now. Um, it supposedly has the equipment that should enable this kind of stuff. And honestly, certainly as a general solution, it is way, way, way harder than um, anyone, uh, certainly uh, specific billionaires uh, would envision it. Um, it's just, I mean... <laughs> Progress is slow, um, but people and situations and roads and circumstances are incredibly complex. And it's, I think that we are still some time away from um, self-driving, fully automated driving uh, outside of some very controlled situations uh, being a thing. Okay. Okay. We'll see. I, mean, um, I hope you're wrong. I'd, I'd love to. I mean, I, the, you know, the scenario that I keep I keep wanting is um, I'd like to be able to go somewhere, uh, yeah. have a little bit too much to drink, and tell my car to bring me home. And and if, you know, legalities aside, have that be a safe thing to do. Have it be safer than myself driving myself home. Um, but I think that that scenario, uh, like I said, is is quite some time away. Yeah, and I think you know you in the seattle area me in the denver area we're not going to see it we're not going to see it with our own cars you know this year but i think there will be you know there's probably going to be some small town that'll get a few tourist bucks because they're going to allow some company to have 10 driverless taxi cabs in their little town and it'll get written up in a bunch of stories and a bunch of you know, tech enthusiasts will go there to check it out sure. and there'll be some little thing. Where, oh, they'll be at the such and such co convention in Vegas or Reno or somewhere. They'll be like, and there's going to be a fleet of a hundred self-driving cars from whatever, you know, for that weekend, you know, that kind of thing. We're going to see those first little steps, but we'll see. Well, um, what I actually hope happens mm -hmm. uh, along those lines are, um, self-driving trucks yes yeah and and especially long haul mm -hmm. because now i realize you know there's a whole trucking industry with lots of drivers and i'm certainly not trying to steal anybody's job with this but um, i think that that's one of those scenarios where the actual self-driving component can be uh, i'll just say restricted to certain scenarios for example, uh, you know, maybe you need a human driver to get you out to the freeway, but at that point, um, you put it on autopilot 
and it literally drives itself to um, the next off ramp, uh, yeah. taking care of traffic and taking care of lane changes and taking care of all that stuff. That I think we're relatively close to. It's the um, the, the the problems inherent with. Uh, the random people around you doing random things in close circumstances. And I mean by random people, random cars, pedestrians, bicycles, construction, all that kind of stuff is so incredibly complicated. It is. And I do think trucks are a good place to start for some of this. I mean, you could, I can envision like depots, you know, supply depots by the interstate that send off self-driving trucks from their special little ramps onto the interstate and they're just designed to go 300 miles to a specialized off-ramp right. where then a driver can hop on board and then get it refueled and do whatever the next thing is with that uh with that vehicle or maybe it even just drops off his trailer and a or you know a human truck driver picks it up picks up that trailer and then the truck takes a trailer back and you have like these basic like little truck railroads basically of, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, of just, you know, using the interstate system. Yeah. It could, it's some interesting stuff could be done there. Um, this next one, I think is a little easier because uh, I think it's just a continuation of what we've seen in the last six months, yes. social media fragmentation. I read somewhere that Mastodon, uh, a, a system of a, a system or network of social networks uh, that you and I are both uh, trying out and using mm -hmm. a lot now mm -hmm. uh, that they went from, they only had 300,000 people a few months ago, which I find hard to believe because my account dates back to like 2018 or 2017 or something. I I thought I would have imagined it would have been millions, but they went from 300,000 to 2.5 million thanks to the troubles <laughs> over at Twitter. That's pretty big growth. And they had only minor growing pains, what I would consider. I mean, right. yeah, every once in a while, it'd be like, oh, we're down for a few minutes or, you know, you're the server I was using was down for a few minutes while we add more capacity, right. but it, it really wasn't that bad. Uh, I think it's going to happen more and more. I think now Mastodon's at a tipping point where it's just going to start to really accumulate more people. Uh, once people see the benefits of it mm -hmm. and especially news organizations, once they see that, wait a minute, we could have our own server. And which like, is happening, it's not, yeah. Yeah, it's, which is not, and it's not that hard. It's, it's actually not. not that hard or expensive. I actually looked <laughs> at, you know, I went down a rabbit hole of like, oh, should I set up my own Mastodon server for whatever? You too, huh? Was, <laughs> yeah, you know, and then I, I basically got us, uh, you know, to a certain point where I was like, well, wait a minute, why? Exactly. But, yeah. you know, and I stopped. But, you know, I saw, hey, this isn't going to be that bad uh, to set it up. So, yeah, if a news organization say says, hey, we can set up our own server or we are a group of newspapers could set up a server or we could join one that's aligned with our mission of you know new, broadcasting some news over social media and stuff i think it makes a lot more sense and i think there's um also a lot of people that are embracing other like you know, more instagram more TikTok, that kind mm -hmm. of thing mm -hmm. moving away from twitter and like i said last year at some point i do not agree with all those people that say, oh, no, if Twitter goes down or Twitter, you know, uh, kind of fails, it's going to be a huge disaster. I don't think so at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we did just fine before Twitter, and we're going to do much better after Twitter because we already have systems in place like Mastodon, like Instagram, like, you know, whatever you want to do, like just your own page and your own blog or the own newspaper website, whatever it is. It's like it's not the end of the world if Twitter were to like fail at this point. A number of the people that I'm following on Mastodon are uh, 
journalists of various sorts, mm. mostly tech journalists, but nonetheless. And of course, there's a lot of discussion about uh, Mastodon and so forth and Twitter and migration and so forth. And one of the things that uh, uh, people are coming back to, and it's something that I, I think I've mentioned it here before. I certainly have mentioned it in, under, in other venues that you and I are, are part of. And that is that it's incredibly important to own your own content. It's incredibly mm -hmm. important to own where you publish what you publish. And Twitter was never that. Facebook is not that. You're publishing mm -hmm. on somebody else's platform. Mastodon is kind of sort of like that, but not really. And what's happening is somebody's comparing it to the uh, a resurgence of blogging from yeah. about 20 years ago, where people are deciding that it's time to once again take control of their own content generation and do it in a way where they are not at the uh, the whim of some other corporation or some other entity uh, that wants to slap ads on it, wants to make money from it, that wants to arbitrarily change rules and so forth. I mean, the thing about Mastodon, the thing that sets you aside from all of that is that um, you know it is a federation of servers, much like we all use different email servers. You can all yeah. use different Mastodon servers and they know how to talk to one another. You can follow anybody from any server and so forth. But if you don't like the policies of the server that you're on, you can go to another one. It's actually a little mm -hmm. bit easier to move your Mastodon than it is to say, move your email from one service to yeah. another. Um, but nonetheless, it's the same thing. If you don't like the way Outlook is working, then switch to Gmail. If you don't like the way Gmail is working, then switch to ProtonMail. I mean, there's all sorts of these alternatives. The same thing applies to the scenario that's in Mastodon. And that ultimately gives the individual much more control over when, how, and where their content is used. Right. And the idea of either you're on, say, Twitter, or you're banned from Twitter because of something you did or said okay. goes away because of the federation, right? You could be kicked off of a Mastodon server and you right. could switch to another one. A Mastodon server can be shunned yes. by other Mastodon servers. Yep. So there's all these gradations. And if you say were to start your own or go to one that you picked particularly because you know you thought you wouldn't be kicked off of it, you could um, you could never get to a point where you're kicked off and you're no longer allowed in the system. You just get to the point where nobody's listening to you anymore, right. which is right. kind of more of a natural state, I think, uh, than what Twitter was doing. Um, so anyway, I think it's going to be interesting. And, um, and it kind of leads into my next thing too, which is talking about short form video, which mm -hmm. is not new. And it's not, you know, it's not like there's going to be something that's going to change in 2023. I just see, uh, you know, we had TikTok around for a few years now, but it's growing and it's gaining more mainstream, uh, mainstream traction now. Mm -hmm. uh, the two competitors, which are really interesting. So you've got YouTube shorts competing and you've got Instagram reels. This is something we didn't necessarily really have like with something like Twitter. And it's not something we really had with YouTube, except in the early, early days. Right. YouTube has dominated the video space, the, the big format, horizontal video space. Yeah. Uh, but now they don't dominate short form. And I don't really see them or TikTok or Instagram dominating at all. I see them all basically gaining a big sizable market share and maybe that not changing for a long time. Um, 
which will make it interesting because they're going to compete against each other mm -hmm. for viewers. They're going to compete for creators. They're going to, you know, do be doing probably each of the three is going to be putting a lot of money into them for getting creators to the platform, for getting advertisers to the platform. Uh, and then you could move back and forth or put your content on all three. I see people that would never go on TikTok because of whatever they think TikTok is being all in on Instagram reels or all in on YouTube shorts. It's going to be interesting. And I, YouTube I know is, you know, going to be trying to make some strides this year into getting a bigger share of that market. And I think Instagram too, and, and TikTok's going to counter, I'm sure with new features and things. Uh, so, you know, competition, competition is going to breed all sorts of uh, interesting features and, and, you know, making things more attractive and more interesting. So I think, yeah, 2023 is going to be the year that, you know, short form video really becomes a huge thing. Bigger because it's already yep, big. Bigger. Like you said, it's already big. With it's TikTok, it's huge. Um, yeah. I think there's, there are a couple of things that could potentially affect this. Yeah. One is um, if for whatever reason, uh, the U.S. government uh, clamps down on TikTok because yeah. that's the big fear of TikTok. Supposedly they're spying on us, whatever. Um, regardless of whether that's true or just an unfounded fear, um, it is something that has the potential to directly impact their ability to uh, continue in this market in one way or another. I think that uh, if it ended up happening, any kind of restriction, uh, if that ended up happening, could have a dramatic mm -hmm. impact on the competitors, probably Instagram more so than YouTube. Uh, the the interesting thing about YouTube, and I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is that these days when I fire up YouTube and I go to either my YouTube homepage or even my YouTube subscriptions page for all the uh, the videos that have been posted by all my uh, uh, the subscriber or the the creators that I follow, um, the number of shorts is honestly overwhelming. Um, it's amazing the number of shorts that are being produced and the number of shorts that YouTube is specifically promoting. So I suspect that uh, you're right. I think that um, not only will we continue to see that a lot on Instagram and of course on Facebook since it's the same thing, but um, I think we'll end up seeing more of it on YouTube. And hopefully uh, for folks like you and me, hopefully on YouTube, the uh, the monetization approach will be a, a rational and a reasonable one so yeah. that um, it becomes a it, it can become a core component of a, of a business model yeah and uh, yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens i have been pretty successful with my short form videos from mac most recently mm -hmm. and the an interesting statistic is i've got three videos now that have topped one million views mm -hmm. I've never in 15 years had a single YouTube video top a million. I've had right. a couple that are close, right. accumulating over years, lots right. of views. Right. But these are ones all within the last three months that have done more than a million. Now, when you have videos that are one minute in length, that you simply get to the next one by scrolling up, you know, swiping right. with your finger. Uh, you could see how you could, you know, a, a, a human being wanting to watch some videos is going to, you know, maybe watch 100 short form videos in the time where they may have watched seven YouTube videos. So so some of those numbers come from that fact, but I'm still pretty impressed that uh, that there are that many, at least that many people have started watching uh, one of my videos uh, three, for three different ones. It shows that there are lots of people consuming this um, right now. So anyway, um, oh, here's a small one. This is, this is a small story, you know, pass keys. 
So pass keys were a big deal in 2022 as a tech story, but not as actually something that people used. Pass keys, of course, being a, a way to log into a site without a password. It is kind of like a password. It's just an untypably long password uh, that you would just have to use a password manager or similar system to to enter in. But the idea is you can't. It can't be fished. You know, no one's going to trick you into like telling them your you know thousand character long. Uh, passkey that mm -hmm. you don't even know. Uh, and you know, so it's a lot more secure. Um, the problem with it, you know, Apple added it to all of its systems in 2022, and they made a big deal out of it, which got lots of people saying, hey, Gary, teach us how to use this. And then me having to go back, uh, there's nothing to teach yet because sites have to adopt it. Right. And for the most part, every time, and it's been several times, I've tried to do a tutorial on it. I've gone to some of the sites that have listed themselves as, hey, we'll use passkeys and found, well, it's always a little asterisk there. Like you have to have an existing account, right? You can't just create a new account and use a passkey. It's like if you have an existing account, you can convert it to a passkey thing. And then the, the way you convert it, totally different on our site than on another site. And so, you have to use it with only this device or in this browser or whatever. So it's a little bit like hard to get your, you know, my head around, like, how do I teach people how to use passkeys? Because there's not many opportunities. But 2023, I'm hoping throughout the year, we get better and better to the point where people can actually act, you know, have not a Facebook password, but a passkey, not an eBay password, but a passkey, that kind of thing. I will admit that I do not have a clear understanding of just what a passkey is. Yeah. So what does that mean from a user's perspective? If they're signing into what, their PC or their Mac? No, they're signing. Uh, so no, they're signing into a ser service or site. Okay. What's, what does the user do that's different when he very, uses a passkey? Very similar to what you would do using a password manager. It would automatically log you in. You may need to give permission by, say, using your you know, computer's password or touch ID or face ID or, you know, whatever. You have to authenticate, in other words, with your computer. <clears throat> um, but uh, it basically then takes this passkey that's stored on your computer and sends that in a similar way to a password. But a password might be 12 characters. And a passkey, I don't know how long they are, but I mean, they're basically it's a large interesting. So, block so of encrypted stuff. I may in stuff. fact be using it already and not even realize it because, for example, uh -huh. um, one of the things that's not on our list right now is, of course, um, LastPass and password managers in general. Um, I'm in the process of evaluating one password. Uh -huh. And one of the options it's given me is to authenticate using my system. Mm -hmm. In other words, when it's time to authenticate myself to one password, uh, rather than entering in my master password, I can, um, on my phone, I can use fingerprint ID. On my PC, I can use my, uh, my login PIN, um, but it's the same PIN that I use to log into Windows itself. So it's authenticating me with the system and that you're saying that that is then what then is transmitting some kind of an authentication token yes. on to LastPass that says, yep, he is who he says he is. Yes, exactly. It's it's uh, 
yeah, it, it's like an authentication token of some sort. I so don't, this, I've never dug down into the sure. actual security level stuff of what it does. Mm -hmm. I just know it's like, if you go to a site and you say, I want to use pass keys, like say you're setting up a new account, um, it would, you know, you choose your username or give your email address or whatever mm -hmm. for your ID. And then he would say, I want a pass key. And it should then send the part of the pass key that's yours to your computer or phone or whatever it is, which then stores it and you never see it. It's too big and long of a chunk of data anyway for you to want to visually look at it. And now when you go to log in, you say, I want to log in with this and your computer or phone says, and I've got the passkey and it sends it there. It would not have access to the passkey if you were not logged into your device. The same way now, if you log in to say one password or last pass or whatever, that master password gives you access to all your passwords. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that the, the problem with passwords is that they're still short enough. Oh, yeah. that you could be tricked yep. into giving it away. That's not so going to happen with passkeys. The other, um, so this other scenario that I see all the time, particularly from Apple, um, is uh, when I sign into one device and it says, yeah. go check another device. Yeah, yeah. You know, go say yes on another device. That is not using passkey technology. No, that's just two, that's just a form of two-factor authentication. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a form of two-factor authentication using only one factor, but yes, it's, it's using the other it, factor. It's the second, <laughs> it's the second factor. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. And the other thing about passkeys is there's a two-way thing, like a, a phishing attempt now is a site pretends to be something else right. and tricks you into giving the password. Even if a site would to try to trick you and say, oh, give me the passkey to your Facebook account, right. um, the the software that handles the passkey would go and say, uh, no, 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 this site doesn't have the proper credentials right. to access right. the passkey that I've got. My assumption is it's using some kind of a, a public key encryption or it yeah, it's very similar encryption type thing. Public yeah. and private keys. Uh, so, so yeah, but. The great thing is, you know, the thing is, if sites would actually just say, hey, here's, we, we made it easy for you. Go to the site. You want a pass key instead of a password? Click here. Done. Then, you know, Apple's got its stuff in place. I assume Microsoft with the latest stuff, maybe they, they have their stuff in place. Mm -hmm. But the sites themselves need to get to the point where they're all doing it and doing it in a way that it's easy to access. I mean, if I have to struggle for like an hour, trying to find one of these sites and how to actually switch to a pass key just to do a tutorial on it. Right. Okay. We're not ready yet, but hopefully 2023 <laughs> is the year that that happens. The year um, we're ready. Yes. My last, my last uh, prediction here, mm -hmm. and this is something we've talked about over the, the years of doing uh, the TEH podcast. We've talked a little bit about uh, automation in the workplace Things like uh, machines at fast food restaurants that will flip burgers, that kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> um, the the only problem in the past has been that companies have come out with these automation techniques, and the response has been why, why, it, why should the franchise purchase a you know a machine that's a hundred thousand dollars, where they could just have one of the people that works for them right now flip the burgers. Um, but twenty twenty two, I think, really saw the the a better reason for that um which is of course uh at these th those low wage jobs they're having a lot of trouble finding employees uh, there's a labor shortage in the united states mm -hmm. and 
the there's probably some of those jobs are just going to become or are becoming higher wage jobs, which is good. Uh, but there's going to be a line, you know, the things above the line become higher wage jobs. And that's how the labor shortage is solved, paying people enough to actually want to do them. Mm -hmm. And then they're below the line. There's always a below the line. There's going to be jobs where it's like, no, we're not going to pay people more. Uh, and those are the ones that may get automated. Uh, I, you know, remember in like, you know, the movie Idiocracy, right? Where McDonald's is basically a vending machine that you go up to and you just say, yeah, I want my burger and fries. And mm -hmm. it's just an automatic thing. Uh, you know, we're just maybe a few steps closer to that, where a lot of the stuff going on to prepare food or run the counter is automated. I was just at a fast food restaurant the other day and I saw for the first time in my area, a little touchscreen order here thing. It mm -hmm. was a Taco Bell actually. And it was a touchscreen order here. It was just one terminal and they had the full counter still going, but it shows that, okay, uh, you know, in Europe, these have been around for a long time, mm -hmm. um, but this is one step, you know, people get more used to using these touchscreens uh, than less counter staff. If there's more automation in the back, then the food is produced uh, more automatically with machines. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that um, in 2023 uh, because there's reason for these companies to have it. So many places have closed. I, I put some pretty major chains, not, you know, the McDonald's size, you know, massive right. chain, right. but like the ones in the middle, the ones that aren't your local or have like a dozen places, the ones that have like a hundred locations, you know, specialty kind of, you know, counter service or fast food service restaurants. A yeah. lot of them have shut down and- My no workers is why they shut down. They haven't found enough employees Our to actually keep it going. favorite burger place here in Woodenville shut down. Yeah. Um, and it was part of a, one of those small chains. I think it was like 20, 20, 25 um, yeah. places. Uh, it was really unfortunate. I will say that um, I don't, I don't know whether I agree or disagree with you within that in this, you know, one year timeframe. Mm -hmm. I will say though, that whenever it happens, I also think that there will be a companion backlash. I think that there will be um, people who then explicitly avoid yeah. the automated systems and go to more of the, uh, you know, traditional um, human powered places. And as a result, unfortunately, we'll have to pay a premium to do so because, People are going to be more expensive than um, than machines uh, for you know everything you've just just pointed and, out, and that might be you know the market taking care of itself, right? If it's if mm -hmm. people say I don't want to go to the automated fast food restaurant, I'm going to go to this you know one that has the human touch, yep. and I'm okay with paying more, which means that that restaurant can then be okay with paying their employees more. Yep. Then you you self correct. There's not as many jobs, but the jobs that are available pay a living wage, hopefully. Um, and you know, you, you hopefully maybe things, the market could take care of stuff that way. Um, we'll have to, we'll have to see, but I, I think right now there's a lot more reason why those restaurants will spend the money to get the automated stuff versus before there just wasn't. So well, that's, we'll have uh, to come back to these topics in a year yeah. and, and just sort of see how we did. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, that's, uh bookmark our own podcast and figure out, uh, do this in December and see where, where we're at with these. See how right we were and how wrong we were and what, what reared its ugly head and surprised us in the interim. Yep, indeed. Um, speaking of surprises, uh, this one, so for 
Um, if you've been paying attention at all to the news over the past couple of weeks, it's been a really bad time to be an airline airline oh. passenger, oh, yeah. um, especially if you happen to be flying Southwest. But even if you haven't, um, the ripple effect, I'm sure, has affected other people flying as well. Mm -hmm. um, Southwest, of course, had a meltdown. Uh, my understanding is that it's the majority of it is because um, they, as a low-cost airline, were running so close to the edge and running such outdated systems that when the weather basically pushed them over the edge, they were unable to recover in a timely fashion and they were losing track of planes, of passengers, of pilots, of staff, all that kind of stuff. And they just suffered this huge, huge meltdown. I think you were saying earlier that uh, uh, you know, there in Denver, you had lots of uh, uh, on the scenes video of bags piled up at DIA. Uh, yeah, it's it was crazy. That was what that was one of the things that like the local Reddit and stuff people love posting. Just the massive halls filled with mazes of bags, uh, all part <laughs> of Southwest. And and I think at some point they started trucking them. Like they were they actually uh, hired some trucking companies to say we need to get these bags from you know Denver to Chicago or whatever. And there's just no way it's going to happen with our planes. So let's get let's fill some trucks, put them on the road overnight. Oh. That's crazy. And you know, yeah, I know. So it's kind of kind of crazy. But yeah, the uh, apparently at one point somebody I saw commented said that you had a about a fifty percent chance of actually finding your bags uh, at the other side of the flight that they actually went with you and and all crazy. It was a crazy yes. week and a bad week. Um, and here in Denver, <clears throat> we're a big connecting place, so there right. were lots of stories of people that neither lived in or were traveling to Denver. But Denver is where they ended up spending Christmas <laughs> because that's where they were stranded uh, for a few days. Southwest uh, wishes you a very yeah. Merry Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I came across a, um, a story, uh, a related story on the other side of the mm -hmm. planet. Uh, basically, apparently in the Philippines right now, they're having a similar problem of a much grander scale. It's their um, air traffic control system is borked, apparently. And that means, of course, you know, no flights, no airlines, no nothing. Um, it's it's mm. bad. It's apparently really bad. But what got my attention was the reason. Um, apparently, the the headline from the register says techies try to bypass a damaged UPS and send 380 volts into the air traffic system. My assumption is that the air traffic system was not designed to handle 380 volts. It was probably designed to handle either 220 or 110. I don't know what their what the standard power is over there. Hmm. Now, you and I, we, we've obviously in the last year, we've traveled internationally. And what I realized is that one of the things that I absolutely love and we've all come to take for granted is that our little chargers, our little power supplies, our little whatevers, um, you plug them into a 110 outlet, they work. You plug them into a 220 outlet, they work. They automatically mm -hmm. do the right thing. Um, that is clearly not the case here. <laughs> yeah. And when it's not the case, it can be extremely, extremely disastrous. Um, it can fry components, computers, others, you know, I mean, just it could do a whole lot of physical damage that can be exceptionally difficult and time consuming to then have to go in and repair because the only way to repair is generally to replace. Mm -hmm. What this reminded me of is some years ago, um, well, I take care of 
um, a server for an organization. And I came to take care of that server because of a very similar scenario. The person who was running that server uh, was in the process of moving it. It was actually one of those small situations. I think he was moving it from his uh, closet <laughs> to an actual data center because mm -hmm. the server was getting enough use that it needed something a little bit more reliable and, and more useful. And he probably didn't want his house being heated up by the server. Unfortunately, uh, two things. One is the server's power supply was not uh, configured automat to automatically handle the correct power. And two, when he went to plug it in at the data center, he plugged his 110 volt server into a 220 volt outlet and the server went poof. And I mean that literally as in, you know, sparks, smoke, the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, what compounded the issue is that uh, apparently there was no backup. So it not only took the server, but the data. So we ended up um, rebuilding the server, uh, this time using a virtual server. The server now lives um, at one of the hosting companies um, as a virtual server rather than a physical server. The actual, you know, what it's plugged into, I don't know, I don't care. It's just, it's a server. But um, it just, it, it, I find it sad and amusing that, uh, this same kind of problem, something as simple as plugging it into the wrong kind of outlet um, is still a problem and can still have some apparently very, very dramatic results, uh, especially if apparently you're trying to fly through the Philippines right now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so right now, like I, I said, I'm, I'm very pleased to have not traveled over the holidays. And um, I suspect that uh, Southwest has, um, they have many problems, obviously, to deal with right now. One is technical, they need to upgrade their systems. Um, but two, they have got such a PR problem that uh, I wasn't likely to fly Southwest in the future, um, but I'm not flying Southwest in the future. That's kind of a decision. Right. I, I, you know, it's it's uh, kind of a shame because some of the other airlines had taken a lot of the bad PR most of the year. And Southwest seemed to come out looking pretty good until this. Yeah. And then they just kind of joined that group. And uh, now suddenly the traditional big airlines, not that they're really, any, I mean, Southwest is huge, but yes. it's still, you know, kind of like thought, it's not thought of in the same places like American or United. They suddenly look like better options. Um, yeah, yep. it's... Yep. Uh, yeah, Southwest is definitely different, right? I mean, they they definitely fly a different pattern. Like most of the big airlines are hub and spoke, whereas Southwest tends to be more point to point. But um, but nonetheless, um, yeah, they have a lot of, and especially if you read some of the articles uh, discussing, you know, the more more of the details about why this happened and how this happened. Um, honestly, it's been a long time coming. Uh, yeah. So it'll it'll be interesting. Yeah, no, it is interesting too. I've, you know, I follow it. The algorithm on TikTok has decided to start showing me lots of train videos, American train videos, <laughs> like of people traveling on Amtrak and, you know, in comfort and take it. Yeah, you know, we're taking our time, two days to get across the country, but it's, you know, here's the meal, here's the bar, here's uh -huh. like our sleeping quarters. And it just, I seem, you know, it's an algorithmic thing, but it almost seems like, yeah, it's an algorithmic thing, but 
it, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some new social media manager over at Amtrak that somehow might be also pushing this in, you know, in the, you know, atmosphere of all of this hatred towards the airlines and people getting stuck and frustrated and right. saying, you know, we, we would never take two days to get across the country on a train, except that it took us two days to get across the country on a plane. Right. So maybe the train's not so bad. Not such a bad idea. Or the like next time. Somebody at Amtrak yeah. uh, tw twisted the dial on their mar on their social I, media marketing I mean, budget. It, it literally, my wife and I literally had this conversation where we said that in 2023, if the opportunity comes up, maybe it's something we think about. Yep. Wi-Fi is a standard thing now. I can mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. uh, she's like, yeah, we could stream shows. It, it wouldn't really would wouldn't that big be that big of an inconvenience for us to maybe take the train. Oh, on an overnight journey. I mean, it's hard in the United States compared to Europe because the huge distances means it takes two days to get, right. you know, uh, like from Denver to the East Coast. But, you know, and, and the fact that we had that conversation, whereas I think two years ago, it would have been a laugh for us right. to have that conversation. We'd be right. like, yeah, no, not in a million years. <laughs> uh, you know, really says something. Anyway. Yep. I have to admit, I did take a look at a few uh, um, rail routes um, the other day as well, just to sort of understand what my options are. Speaking of rail and algorithms, uh, yes. uh, Facebook, presumably Instagram reels being displayed through Facebook, that algorithm has decided that I need to see more railroad um, uh, videos, model railroad videos. Oh, I don't, well, okay. I don't know why. They're very cool, but um, uh, it seems, you know, obviously unrelated to anything. It's just kind of funny. Anyway, <laughs> they are kind of cool. Speaking of yes. cool. Yeah. Um, what you been watching? Uh, let's see. So uh, a show that I talked about uh, when season one was out, Alice in Borderland, uh, season two dropped on Netflix. Uh, Alice in Borderland's kind of this uh, interesting, it's a Japanese TV serial where um, uh, it, it's, you know, it's hard to not compare it to Squid, Squid Game. Mm -hmm. um, but it is uh, kind of like that, except that it's much more something supernatural is going on kind of deal because mm. everybody has disappeared except for a few people in Tokyo and they are being forced to play deadly games against each other. Uh, what uh, not only does that set it apart because it's obviously something is wrong with reality or something is, you know, different mm. about the world. Um, <clears throat> but the games themselves are, there's a lot more of them um, and they're, they are interesting often very philosophical uh, type of games uh, where people have to make leaps of logic or uh, sacrifices or, you know, all sorts of things. And each, you could almost just pause it, you know, after each game is done. Um, and then, then it's not always one game per episode. Sometimes it's, they're short. Sometimes it stretches over a couple, it's all, all different things. You can almost pause it and basically discuss like, well, how, what would your strategy be? What would you have done? You know, that kind of thing. Um, right. Really interesting. Very violent, if you don't like violence. And, and of course, if you don't like reading subtitles, that's uh, not for you. But I, I found it uh, to be very binge-worthy. Uh, two seasons of it now on Netflix, Alice cool. in Borderland. And it does, of course, combine two of my favorite things. One is Alice in Wonderland, but only marginally. It is uh -huh. definitely not a retelling. There's just some aesthetic elements from 
uh, Alice in Wonderland. There is no character named Alice or anything like that. Right. Just maybe some aesthetic kind of things, which also ties into playing cards. Playing cards are a major part, kind of comes from Alice in Wonderland or through the looking glass a lot as well. Um, and but playing cards are everywhere and a big part of all the games. Like each game is like an actual playing card, like oh, this is the Seven of Spades game or this is the Queen of Hearts game, that kind of thing. Um, and I love playing cards. I collect them and uh, it's one of my interests. So, of course, that had an extra bonus for me yeah. uh, watching the show. Neat. Um, so, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks and we've been, I don't know, binging, of course, random things. Uh, we just finished up season two of Evil uh, mm -hmm. last night, uh, which is on Paramount+. Plus. Um, it's a... Uh, um, how did how best to describe it? So ultimately, it's a a priest in training who just became a literally became a priest in the last episode, um, and uh, some friends who are charged with um, investigating claims of demonic possession and then recommending whether or not there should be exorcisms. It's it's of course more complicated than that, and there's there's interpersonal stories abound. But uh, anyway, it's been interesting. We're looking forward to starting up season three here pretty soon. We did end up watching. Did you ever watch uh, the original Witcher on Netflix? Not that yes. long ago. Okay, mm -hmm. so Witcher Blood Origins dropped, I think, a couple of weeks ago, um, or maybe just last week. We watched it as four episodes only. It's a very limited season. Um, it was, I'll just say, interesting. Uh, I, I'd have a hard time saying that it was truly compelling, but it did set up the uh, the Witcher universe um, in a way that a lot of what was going on in the Witcher uh, kind of sort of made a little bit more sense. It certainly did uh, allude to the first Witcher, how Witchers began. Mm. Um, but uh, But ultimately, all of that explanation for the Witcher series happens, I'd say, in the last 10 minutes of uh, the witcher <laughs> blood origins um the rest of it you know yep it's fun it's magic it's monsters it's you know that kind of stuff but it was fun and then last night we splurged uh and we watched uh top gun maverick uh which we uh we saw you know obviously it's been literally a couple of decades since we saw top gun enjoyed it it was not as somebody else has described it it was not just a retelling of top gun it was a new story with some interesting side effects certainly enough call a number of callbacks to the original movie but enough of a distinctive plot and storyline to uh, to set it um, as a very nice standalone um, yeah and yes of course you know jets fly fast <laughs> you know lots of <laughs> lots of lots of that kind of stuff going on but uh, but it was a fun time so well, um in our blatant self-promotion section i am going to let you know that uh, i th think i mentioned that the course exists i've started promoting a little bit it's the saved backing up with macroom reflect online course um it's not quite done yet a couple of weeks ago, I announced it to my newsletter as being half done, so it was half price. It's a little bit more than half done, but it's still half price and probably will be until around the 15th of this month. So uh, that would be something if you are interested in getting your PC backed up and backed up with uh, some really high quality uh, backup software, Macroom Reflect, then this course might be something that you'll want to have a look at that saved backing up with Macroom Reflect, the online course. Cool. I'll uh, link to a video that is um, about why you need to be careful when buying a used Mac 
uh, particularly online. Um, just I just see a lot of people buying stuff on whether it's Craigslist or eBay or Nextdoor or whatever, uh, getting scammed. Uh, sometimes getting scammed, like literally, like they get a brick in a box. Right. Um, but sometimes it's more of just like, hey, I paid $300 for this this MacBook. What a great deal. And it's like, what? what that was a 2011? What? With what? No, $300 was way too much for that. Right, right. Like I've I've recycled better machines than that, you know. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot a lot of advice in that video um just trying to you know present some con consumer information there if you're into buying a used Mac. It's a shame because it should be a really good option for people to buy a used Mac. Sure. And to sell one as well. But unfortunately, so many uh, scammers and con artists and just dishonest people are kind of spoiling the, the market. So, so too true. Yeah. I think that pretty much wraps us up for the first week of 2023. I still have a hard time saying that. As always, the show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh180. If you've got a comment or a question for us, you can leave it there on the show notes page. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.